As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm Pete Sampson. Be joined momentarily by my co-host, Matt Fortuna, and today's special guest from ABC, ESPN, Greg McElroy. Did analysis for Notre Dame season opener at Florida State. Uh, we talked a lot about that. If Notre Dame is maybe a little different than any of us had thought to date, some big picture talk with Brian Kelly uh, and... Being a former Alabama quarterback, we got into a little bit of a comparison game with Notre Dame and Alabama and how close that gap is or is not. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So let's get to it. Here's Greg McElroy. Pleased to be joined by a special guest here on the Shamrock this week. Uh, Matt Fortuna is with me as always. But we have Greg McElroy, uh, analyst for ESPN, ABC, called uh, Notre Dame, Florida State, um, and is sort of... Very well versed in the Irish, um, even through the the nitty gritty of Toledo last week. And I, I, Greg, I, first, thanks for doing this. And I, I am just sort of interested in terms of how your view of Notre Dame maybe changed from seeing them live in Tallahassee to sort of scouting them a little bit uh, on tape post Toledo. Well, I think if I'm going to sum up the first eight quarters of football. I would say that Notre Dame is their own worst enemy. Uh, I think that that's, I think kind of a fair assessment because if you look at both games, the only reason why either game was competitive was almost entirely due to Notre Dame's missteps and or mistakes. Um, Starting, let's start with the Florida State game. When Marcus Freeman decides to go to uh, a slightly more conservative three down line, eight droppers and Florida State had not been effective whatsoever on the underneath passing attack. I guess I kind of sitting there thinking, well, why are you giving them a look defensively that they can run the ball against? And sure enough, what did Florida State start doing? I even called out the broadcast like, man, they need to put four defensive linemen on the field. This makes no sense. And next thing you know, Florida State gets some momentum. They put a couple drives together. Next thing you know, we're going to overtime. Well, last week, a couple turnovers off of the line, really not good. 
Uh, defense gave up a couple big plays, especially that wheel route on the right sideline early. And sure enough, they're in a dogfight. So I, I think Notre Dame, if there's one thing I can say, is that if they put it together like they did maybe through the first two and a half quarters of the Florida State game, they're going to be a potential playoff team. But if they take their foot off the gas and or if they get conservative and if they turn the ball over, just like anybody, they're very human. And we've obviously learned that here in the last couple of weeks. Greg, you did Notre Dame's opener. Um, again, a great game, a game that, you know, what was interesting for a million different reasons, had a million different twists and turns. But your preparation for that, you're going off interviews with the staff, you're going off what they've done in the past, and presumably what Marcus Freeman has done in the past with Cincinnati. What was your expectation for Notre Dame coming into this season before that Florida State game? No, I thought they'd be much of the same. I, I thought offensively they would change a little bit. I mean, as you know, with what Tommy Reese wants to do, a lot of it is based on their personnel. So, yeah, while Tommy Tremble's not going to be out there killing folks in the blocking scheme, you know, they still have some pretty good pieces of running back. So I thought, as opposed to last year, where they lived in mostly multiple tight end sets, I thought they'd actually live in multiple running back sets because of how good Tyree is, because of how good Kyron is, because Sebo Flemster is the guy that they were excited about. Of course, he's been absent the last couple of weeks. But I thought we'd see a lot of running back utilization and maybe a little bit less multiple as far as tight ends are concerned. That hasn't really been the case. Uh, they did do some, but maybe haven't lived in it like I thought they might. Um, I, I think the maturation process of Mayer has been encouraging. But I do think they're still at this point trying to figure out, all right, who are we? Because if you look at Notre Dame really the last couple of years, they always feature their stars. Like all great coaches, you feature your stars. Well, the star for Notre Dame for the last three or four years has been the offensive line. And they featured the offensive line, right? <laughs> they feature it with run game, with dynamic looks, with different gap schemes that they get in by creating different gap schemes, by having extra tight ends in the game. And the offensive line was really the star of the show. Well, the offensive line is not the same. Your center in Patterson's great, uh, but now that Blake's out on the left tackle spot, not the same. Both tackles, I think, were really, really subpar in the Toledo game. Didn't play up to the standard that I've come to expect from Notre Dame for quite some time. I didn't think they played great in the Florida State game either. Number 11 for Florida State really ate their lunch for an awful lot of that football game. So, uh, I think the offensive line is not really as good as maybe they expected and maybe as, as good as they've come to expect over the course of Brian Kelly's tenure. So I think they're going to have to adjust. And I think that adjustment could happen this week where maybe you have to be a little smarter on the edges. You can't leave those guys on the, on the perimeter uncovered. You can't help those guys out. You can't leave those guys without help. And if they do that, then they shouldn't have much problems. Because if you look at Purdue, they have some pretty good edge defenders. Not super dynamic, not super fast, and last week's speed gave them fits. But they are pretty stout, and, and they can give you some problems if you let them. So I think they're going to have to adjust, but if there's one coaching staff that I trust to adjust to make sure that they're not exploited, uh, I would say it's, the, uh, it's their offensive staff and, and what Tommy Reese is going to throw at you. Having spent a little, you know, we've spent some time with, with Marcus, you have as well. 
I, I was interested in your feeling of like, do you think how Notre Dame's defense is playing is a surprise to him? Um, you know, real good havoc numbers, but the big plays have been bad, um, which is not something that he is is used to coming from Cincinnati. Like, what was your perception of Notre Dame's defense talking to Marcus and like how did it match up with what you've seen the last couple of weeks? Um, well, I've been a little disappointed with the big plays given up naturally. Marcus plays a lot of man coverage, uh, always has. He's an aggressive defensive coordinator that isn't afraid to take chances defensively. Sometimes you get burned. Uh, sometimes you make a huge play. And he is a defensive coordinator that, unlike maybe you know Mike Elko a couple years ago or Clark Lee last year, maybe not going to do – you know, maybe do more defensively, but, and maybe create more negative plays, create, like you said, more chaos, but also you're going to be a little bit more susceptible. And maybe this is a calculated risk that Brian Kelly's making in hiring a coach that can maybe dictate a little more, that can create more defensively while giving up maybe some of the consistency. They create maybe more turnovers or takeaways, maybe more negative plays. So I think that's kind of what they're realizing is that maybe not paying the same dividends right now, but once they get against the likes of a playoff caliber team, they'll be able to create more things defensively because of the risks they're willing to take. And, and that might be part of it. I, I don't know if that's it. All I know is that Marcus Freeman is going to roll the dice. And if I'm a quarterback and I'm playing against Marcus Freeman, I'm going to have to have my wits about me because that pressure could come from anywhere. And I know I'm going to have to find man beaters more often than not throughout the course of the game. So that means I got to find favorable matchups. I got to make sure I take advantage of the slot players. I got to make sure I take advantage of my running backs in the passing attack. I got to take advantage of double moves, which they've gotten hit on a couple times already this year. The most, the best example was second or third play of the game this past week. They have a little motion to the slot. They run a little wheel route, hit him up the right side, and he's out the gate. So uh, I think that it's, it's about what I expected. And remember, transitions are hard. So you're transitioning from what is a bit of a conservative don't bend or bend don't break style of, style of defense in Clark Lee and, and Mike Gelko to now, hey, we're going to force you into trouble. We're going to make the quarterback feel us. We're going to play man coverage. We're going to challenge your receivers in the line of scrimmage. So it's, it's a pretty different philosophy that they're going after. And I think it will be met fondly here in time because they have good skill and they have really good personnel, but they have to, I think, get to the quarterback faster and sooner, and they have to do a better job uh, of, of making sure they don't fall victim to some of the big plays that are happening right now being thrown over their head. Greg, I'm pretty sure you did Cincinnati's regular season finale last year when they clinched the American Athletic Conference title. I'm sure you've done other Bearcats games of the past. I mean, any glaring differences just in scheme and style? Obviously, the personnel is different, but from what you saw against Florida State to what you were used to seeing at Cincinnati, any big differences with Marcus Freeman's defense? Um, not really. Obviously, Cincinnati uh, had some guys that were recruited specifically to play in that style. Um, the guys that Notre Dame's employing uh, were recruited to play a slightly different style. So it's not that they can't work. Um, but I guess I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, you look at the defensive line. Uh, we hear all about you know, the defensive line for Notre Dame. So whereas a guy like Kurt Heinisch, number 41, right? Big, 
physical, stout, great motor, good against the run, sound as can be, that's a perfect fit for what Mike Elko's been. That's a good fit for what Clark Lee's been, but maybe not a perfect fit for what for what Marcus Freeman is. Marcus Freeman needs speed, and that's why I think we're going to see Howard Cross as much as we see Howard Cross, right? I mean, that's a guy that's, that is undersized, who is 275 pounds, that's uh, going to pin his ears back and make life difficult on the opposition because he has speed. And if you look at Cincinnati, where they might give up just sheer bulkiness, they have guys in front that's twitchy and that can create advantages for the defense and the defensive line specifically because of the speed that they have on the field. Now, are they going to get there in one recruiting class? No. And will Marcus Freeman have to meet them where they're at? Yes. But I do think it's been a little bit of trial and error these first couple weeks and trying to figure out, okay, how do we create havoc in the trenches with the personnel that we have? And they, they haven't really done it as consistently as they probably would have liked. I think Mark Street is going to pride himself on creating a lot of negative plays and getting the quarterback to feel the heat. And last week against Toledo, that quarterback was getting the ball out of his hands really quick. And he was dropping back and being decisive, and they were anticipating throws, and they were uncovering and all that stuff. And it was, it was a really nice offensive plan. I mean, it really was. you got to give a ton of credit to Toledo. But I think Marcus Freeman will adapt a little bit, start to bring more pressure from the second level, and maybe mix in a few more zone concepts and a few more concepts defensively that aren't necessarily going to be as aggressive. Because I think their offense is good enough to score. Uh, what I don't think their offense is good enough to do is get into a track meet. Notre Dame is not a team that's built to win games 48-45. It's just not who they are. They need to keep the defense and they need to keep the opposing offense no higher than 30 points. No higher in some cases, depending on how good the personnel is you're playing against, no higher than 21 points. And that's not what we've seen so far. So I think it's going to be a balancing act. Uh, and I would see them revert a little bit more back to who they were last year. But so far, uh, I can't say I'm that surprised that there have been some inconsistencies and some ups and downs here in the first couple of weeks. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you look ahead to Purdue a little bit, I mean, Bell at receiver is a player. Carl Aftis, obviously, off the edge. Like, how you look at this matchup, I, I think in the preseason, you know, as you're sort of ticking down Notre Dame's schedule, this isn't really want a game that grabbed your attention a whole lot. After the first two weeks, I think it absolutely does. So, like, do you do you sort of see Notre Dame as, like, they really need to be on guard this weekend? Like, this, this is not 
this this would not be the shocking upset that maybe it would have appeared to be in June. Uh, I think the worst thing for Purdue is that Notre Dame played poorly last week. Because, look, I, I've been around BK enough to know that's not going to be a fun week of practice. Right? I mean, I, I don't know about y'all. Like, this week's going to be miserable. <laughs> it's like, as a player... I'm waking up on Sunday morning like, oh man, relief, sigh of relief. Like I'm not, I'm breathing easy, but tomorrow's going to stink. And that's, you know, that's that's kind of what what I'm expecting. And I actually think that Notre Dame's going to have their best performance of the week this week, uh, of the year this week. I really believe that. I think it's going to be a complete performance, and I happen to think it's going to be dominant. Now, that's not taking anything away from Purdue, but I watched some Purdue yesterday, and Purdue's not super dynamic. Uh, there's not, you, know, you referenced the wide receivers. Rondale Moore is not there anymore. And if you look at Toledo, now it's Toledo, and they're not as obviously deep. They're not as physical as Purdue. But I would say that Toledo's a really tough matchup because they have guys on the edges, on the perimeter that can fly. They're not very big. Their wide receiver that's a handful is 5'8, but he can fly. And I think Purdue, when they had Rondale Moore, they had that. Now, I watched Purdue today, and they're not the same team that they were a couple years ago. Are they good? Yeah, they're, they're solid. Will this be Notre Dame's toughest game? I don't think so. Uh, I think that this game is a game where Notre Dame actually matches up a little bit better. Um, Purdue's offensive line is pretty solid. I think Notre Dame can get after the quarterback. I don't think Purdue's going to be able to run the ball with a whole lot of efficiency. And Notre Dame's going to have to have an answer for crossing routes, which they haven't handled well really yet. Um, but I, I think Notre Dame wins this game convincingly. And I, it's, it's partly because I believe BK will find the right things and find the right buttons to press this week. Uh, I think the players will come out with a newfound commitment to doing what's right on the field. And I happen to think we're going to see Notre Dame's very best this weekend. It's a calculated risk that I'm willing to take, but I think Notre Dame wins the game by a couple wow. touchdowns, if not um, maybe even maybe even three How surprised were you, or were you surprised, to see uh, Tyler Buckner get in, in game two? I mean, were you prepared for that at all, covering their game in week one or, or in the early parts of the season, just because all indications we had got in the preseason was that's a package they're probably going to save for down the road? Uh, I can't say I was surprised. Uh, we were made aware that there was a package for him. Um, we did not, we were not told how deep that package was. <laughs> so that package could very well develop into over the course of the season, uh, a starting role. I mean, it would not shock me. The thing is, I don't think Cones played poorly. I don't think Cones given you any reason to, uh, hard to contemplate maybe going in a different direction. Um, but you can't deny sometimes what you see with your own very eyes and having a dynamic quarterback in the backfield when your offensive line is struggling is not the worst solution to what could become an increasingly challenging problem to figure out. And I, I think Buckner, I think Cohen, like I said, has played really well and has been better than advertised or better than expected. I think is probably the most appropriate way to describe what I've seen from him, but I'd be naive and I'd be wrong. I think in saying that 
if he's at his best and Buckner's at his best, Buckner might be the better option down the road, right? And if you are trying to get over the hump and win a national championship, the likelihood of doing so with the guy that's super dynamic, I think is higher than that of a guy that's a little more stationary and that is going to kind of pick you apart from the pocket, given where Notre Dame's weaknesses currently are. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more Buckner as the season goes along. Uh, And I wouldn't be shocked if by season's end, uh, he doesn't ultimately prove to be maybe the best option on the team. The guy's got a, a lot of ability. And unless that offensive line gets really good really fast, uh, having that kind of ability and that kind of mobility could be very advantageous to the Notre Dame offense moving forward. I wanted to like sort of take this out a little bit bigger picture. And you had tweeted something out about, you know, Clay Helton was fired yesterday. Who would you be your first calls if you were the USC AD? You had Brian Kelly at number three on that list. And like, I think Matt and I have talked about this in the past. Like if you're USC, like that, that would absolutely be one of the calls that I would make. Like, I don't think he would necessarily, necessarily answer it, but um, why, why do you think like Brian Kelly has been as steadying an influence as at this place as he has? Cause I mean, pre him, it was tumultuous for about 20 years. I mean, it, it was not dissimilar from what's happened at Texas, what's happened at USC. It was, you know, a blue bird program that just had completely lost itself. Um, why, like essentially, like why do you think Alabama. Brian Kelly? Yeah, Alabama is a good example too. Like, why is Brian Kelly good at what he does? As good as he is at what he does, I think he's self-aware first and foremost. Um, yes, he has an ego, but he also has an understanding that he doesn't maybe have all the answers. And I think the guy, I think a coach that's as good as him. I mean, first of all, let's look at his track record. The guy's won everywhere he's been. I mean, one of the best coaches that we have seen doing it um, in quite some time. And I think his willingness to adapt and change is something that is admirable. So I, I'm a big fan of, of him self-evaluating. For instance, let, let's use the best example, 2012 National Championship. And he coached them up and got them to a point which is pretty dang remarkable for them to arrive on the national scene as quickly as they did. And then as soon as he got there and it got sideways, he said, we're not even close to where we need to be. We got to make changes. We got to adjust. Here's how we're going to adjust. This is what we're going to attack. This is what we're going to make our, this is what we're going to make our bell cow, our bread and butter. It's going to be the offensive line. We're going to be a destination for offensive linemen. We're going to go out and get the best offensive linemen that we can find. We're going to try to do best we can by, by fortifying the trenches, but, if we can't do that, we're going to get big, strong, physical guys up front that can at least hold those offensive linemen so our linebackers can run freely from sideline to sideline. So, uh, And then he's, I think, done a really good job of recruiting good quality pieces at the skill positions, especially at tight end, which has become you know, a huge part of who they are, dating back to Eifert and, and obviously throughout the course of the last six or seven years. So uh, I, I, think that, I think that they've they've done a great job of becoming a destination for kids that, that want to, you know, go and and play. Like we talked to, uh, we talked to Michael Mayer about this actually leading up to the Florida State game. I said, why Notre Dame? Like, help me understand why Notre Dame? He goes, well, when I took my visit, it was different. They've done an amazing job with tight ends. And I, I think that, 
were a piece or two away from winning from winning a national championship, and I wanted to be the one of those pieces. I mean, that's that's a pretty. And by the way, you get to do all the amazing things that Notre Dame offers on top of it, including the educational aspect and stuff like that. So there's a there's a lot to really like about Notre Dame, and I think more and more recruits that are ready made, ready to contribute, five star superstars are willing to consider Notre Dame because of the past record that Brian Kelly has uh, in developing those guys into becoming NFL players and putting forth a really good college product on the field each and every week. So um, I think it's, it, he's done an amazing job. And I also acknowledge too, which is why I consider him to be such an amazing coach. He's done it in a place that's not easy to do it. I mean, you have, you have shadows of, historical figures that lurk around every corner and a lot of Notre Dame fans uh, and a lot of people that support the Irish they have you know I think they take winning for granted sometimes because winning is a you know a birthright (laughs) that's not that's not always the case it's really hard to win it's really hard to win at the level and the consistency that Brian Kelly's been able to win at and it's a place, too, that has really stringent academic expectations to where you can't get everybody into school that you want to get into school. Now, part of that is really, really amazing, but part of that makes your hair fall out as a coach. And if he were to go to a place like, since you mentioned it, USC, he would no longer have those responsibilities to the academic side. He would to a certain extent, but not to the extent that he has at Notre Dame. So it's always something that you have to consider. Uh, it's always something that you have to weigh, but you know, he would always be, cause I have so much respect for him. If I was an AD and I had a job, job opening at a top five, top 10 program, I'm calling Brian Kelly. I'm going to make him say no. If he says no, fine, but I'm still going to at least see whether or not he'd listen. Uh, if I had an opening, I mean, that's for sure. Craig, to follow that up, if I told you that this week, if they win, he will tie one of those shadows, Nuke Rockney, atop the all-time wins list for Notre Dame. You may have already known that, but is that a surprise to hear that out loud to you? No, I already know that, uh, and that might be part of the reason why <laughs> uh, he'd be more willing to listen now than ever before. That, that's, just my, that's just my interpretation of who he is. This is a guy that constantly wants more challenges. And he hasn't done everything he wants to do at Notre Dame yet. So there are boxes left unchecked right now in South Bend. Because ultimately, he wants to win a national championship. That's what he signed up to go there for. That's what he wants to do. That's his ultimate goal. And I think they're a lot closer to achieving that goal than even where they were nine years ago when they played in the national championship game. But all that being said, it might be harder to do that at Notre Dame than it is at a place like USC, where in the Pac-12, the upward mobility is very, very real. and. I don't think you would have the same stringent requirements academically at SC that you would at Notre Dame to get guys into school. So if you can be the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame, be on the cusp of potentially winning championships, even though you haven't quite gotten over the hump and someone makes you an overture that you just can't turn down, uh, I think there's a possibility you listen. But yes, I think part of it, if he still had Newt Rockney 50 wins away, from being the all-time winningest coach, I don't think we're having this discussion. But the fact that he's already going to be the all-time winningest coach, uh, that I think could potentially be a factor. But who knows? I might be reading too much into it. 
I did want to, you know, you mentioned sort of Notre Dame in 2012, you know, running into Alabama, Brian Kelly reevaluating the entire program, how they recruit, how they develop, what they want to be from an identity standpoint. That gets you to last year where that, that new identity and sort of who Notre Dame is, they get to test it. The problem is that Alabama has also reimagined who it can be and, and how it is going to achieve success. So do, I guess it's a, a long-winded way of asking it. Do you think Notre Dame is any closer to that? Or is Alabama, who you know incredibly well, like have they just moved the goalposts so far out that even though Notre Dame has improved itself as a program, the distance between itself and Alabama actually may, may be just as great, if not greater, than it was in 2012? Uh, obviously, yeah, the Alabama program now is better than they were in 2012. Um, the level of talent across the board has improved. Uh, I would say Notre Dame ran into one of the most talented teams that Alabama's ever fielded in 2012. That was a really, really good roster um, all throughout. Wide receiver, offensive line. I think, look at the offensive line. is ridiculous. Uh, defensive line, of course. I mean, a lot of really good players on the 2012 roster. Yeah, Alabama's gotten better. I think what Alabama's also done since that point, they have become so dynamic on the offensive side of the football. It feels as though it's they're further apart from the rest of the pack. Um, Alabama had to win a very specific way in 2012. They had to beat you down on defense. They had to be really good running the football. They could throw it for sure and had some success throwing it but it wasn't their bread and butter. And that was how they won. And they did so at a pretty remarkable clip. But I would say now Alabama is more capable of winning in a bunch of different ways. It used to be if you could find a hot quarterback and you could score 40, you could beat them. Now you could find a, you could be a hot quarterback, you could score 40 and they can still beat you 60 to 40. And that's a little bit probably challenging for some people to wrap their head around. I think these versions of Notre Dame, the 2019, 2020, 2021 TBD, right? We'll see where they end up. But 2020, using them as a good example, 2020 Notre Dame was very similar to 2012 Alabama. Outrageously similar. I mean, really, really close. Very similar. Built similarly. Had similar fundamentals. Had similar identities. Uh, and Alabama now has gotten to the point where they're so dynamic offensively, they're going to create a lot of problems for you. So Alabama is a couple steps ahead. Doesn't mean they can't be beat. It's just going to require your defense to play out of their mind and force a couple turnovers and for Alabama to have a less than stellar day defensively. But all those things are possible. We've seen in the past and, you know, Lane Kiffin and Florida and, and other programs and other teams have given Alabama fits, but uh, haven't been able to do it with a ton of regularity. I was going to say, this week might be the biggest test they get all season, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. Not to belabor the point, Greg, but I am curious. Everything you just said about Brian Kelly, I can't help but think while hearing you say that, you know, a product, an alum of Nick Saban's Alabama team, what do you think keeps Nick Saban going? Like, talk about a guy who has nothing left to prove to anyone whatsoever – um, like, why, why would you put Brian Kelly up for USC and not Nick Saban? Not that I think either will take it, but like, as far as your your knowledge of that program and that coach, I mean, what is it about him that 
makes him such a great fit there and why it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight? Well, uh, a couple reasons. Um, Nick Saban's obviously considerably older than Brian Kelly. I don't know exactly by how many years, but Nick Saban turned 70 in a few weeks. Brian turned 60 in a so few I weeks, think I think. part so. of it. He turned 60 yeah. in a few weeks. Okay, well, he looks good. Uh, all right, so well, Brian's obviously quite a bit younger. Um, that's one. Two, uh, I would say that Nick Saban has obviously heard and listened to overtures in the past um, and has turned them down. The other thing I would also say, too, is that Nick Saban, I think Nick Saban at one point was very intrigued by the possibility of going into television. Um, I have that on good authority. (laughs) That was a very real thing and something that he was very intrigued by. And I think as time has gone on, I think he's recognized and having done more television that he's really not going to be fulfilled doing anything other than coaching. Like Nick Saban, he likes TV. He likes golf. He likes these going to the lake. He likes going out on this boat. He doesn't love any of it. The only thing he really loves is coaching football. And I think he is wired in a way that he really only cares about coaching football. And I think most people that are highly successful in their respective field are a little bit on, you know, teetering on the edge of crazy. I think Nick Saban flirts with that line, you know, as far as what moves him, what makes him the best version of himself. And I think he is more focused on football than he is on anything else. I'm not saying Brian Kelly isn't. I just get the sense in my experiences with Brian Kelly, he's a little more well-rounded. You know, and I think that Brian Kelly would be interested, having having been bounced around in the past, I suppose, um, would be more willing to listen to overtures that might be made from other institutions. Um, Nick Saban reached the mountaintop with national championships. Uh, Brian Kelly has it at this level, um, but he might be able to if he went to a place that could more easily attain those national championships. And personally, I think it's easier to win national championships at USC than it is at Notre Dame. I don't think it's more easy to win national championships at USC than it is at Alabama, at least not at this point. So, and that's no disrespect to Notre Dame. It's just, it's just, I think it's easier to get players in at USC. I think you have a more talent rich area of the country that you're recruiting from. Uh, and I think you have a league and a division more specifically that is extremely gettable in the Pac-12 South. So, uh, and like I said, this, I'm not saying, I, Brian Kelly, I'd be shocked if he took the SC job. All I'm just saying is if I'm Mike Bone, I'm the AD at, at USC, I'm calling him. And I'm going to let him hear my pitch. And maybe he'll listen. Maybe he tells me to kick rocks and hangs up on me. But I'm going to at least try. Uh, that's for sure. And if I'm Brian Kelly, in order to create a little leverage, I might listen. <laughs> I might listen for for a little while and get a new fresh deal at Notre Dame, and you know, coach there for the next twenty years before he decides to shut it down. You know, I, I want to circle back to you. You've referenced this a couple times, and we're talking about Alabama and Notre Dame's relationship to them. But like the style of defense Marcus is, is playing, you know, bend but don't break. Notre Dame's tried that on the biggest stage; it has not worked. So you do something different; you get aggressive. Notre Dame has sort of had more of your um, traditional quarterbacks 
that, you know, not, you know, Ian Book, I guess, was sort of a dual threat, but not in the way Tyler Buckner is. So you got to you got to find your own Trevor Lawrence in some ways. Um, do you see some of the, the programming moves that Brian Kelly has made as an, an acknowledgement of like where Alabama is now? If you're going to get them, you you can't play the Ben Badovic defense. You can't have a quarterback who is not elite running and passing. Um, do you sort of see the moves Brian Kelly's making is like, if I'm going to win it all, like I I have to evolve yet again um, because just sort of sticking with the what I learned from 2012 isn't enough. I, I have to learn from 2018 and 2020. Correct. I think. Brian Kelly has one, he has one thing that he wants to achieve, and that's winning a national championship. Every move he makes is, yeah, of course, in order to win a national championship, you also have to win 11 or 12 games in the regular season. That's, that's obvious, right? But I think that every single move he makes is with Alabama on his mind. I think Clemson's the same way. I think Notre Dame's, obviously under that umbrella of, of excellence, I would say Ohio state is there as well. I would say Oklahoma who's made changes defensively to go to a style. That's not really that similar to Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman's different philosophically, but they're kind of one of those teams that takes risks, high risk, high reward defensively. They've done that in an effort to try to close the gap between them and some of the teams they face in the playoffs. So, uh, I think every single team in college football, uh, whether they admit it publicly or not, that I think great teams and great coaches say, no, we're not worried about Alabama. We're going to do what we do. But behind closes, they would tell you, we got to beat Alabama, and this is the way to beat them. So, uh, yeah, I think we'd be crazy to think that some of the decisions that Brian Kelly's made as far as personnel, as far as hiring certain coaches, as far as implementing different philosophies, I think it's always in an effort to close the gap. And uh, I actually think that with some of the decisions that they've made, they they have closed the gap in some ways. Uh, And if Buckner gets the job down the road and he becomes a super dynamic guy, which he might very well become, it's early in his tenure, but I mean, the rewards have been pretty promising. uh, Then maybe they could be that way offensively, go to more spread, more zone read, more RPO. Um, things like that, they haven't necessarily lived on in the past. They've, they've dabbled in, but haven't lived on. Awesome. Well, Greg, appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate your insight. Safe travels down to Miami this weekend, and we will see you down the road. All right. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Good talking about the Irish, man. I love diving in deep on one specific team. It's been great. Thanks, Greg. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That was Greg McElroy, ESPN ABC analyst. Um, pretty interesting stuff, Matt. I, I would say like that. I enjoyed sort of the deep dive into Notre Dame, but then like we had some good global conversation as well. Um, so I, I don't know if you want to talk more about Alabama. You want to talk more about USC, Brian Kelly. I mean, there's a million different places we can start. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's always been one of my favorite people to watch and listen to. He had me on a serious show a lot a couple of years ago, and he's just so well-rounded. I mean, you you wouldn't know until I think those last questions if you were a college, a, a, an average fan that this guy has a national championship ring from Alabama and played for Nick Saban. Like, he just has such a kind of wholesome, well-rounded perspective and doesn't see everything through a crimson tinted glasses that um, you just really appreciate a guy who's been there and done that and can tell it like it is. I'd be remiss not to say my eyebrows raised a lot when you cited his tweet saying Brian Kelly should be at the top of USC's call list and when he went further into detail about why he thinks Brian Kelly would be uh, receptive to any potential overtures from out west. I don't disagree with any of the logic that he gave us, um, but I, I also like that, that. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I should lead with that. Everything he said was true. I also think Brian Kelly knows what he's about. He's got it so good at Notre Dame that any potential advantages to going to USC would essentially be undone by the work he has in front of him to take advantage of those advantages should he go there in 2021 or 2022. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I can't imagine the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame going to USC. That just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I all the work that he's put into getting Notre Dame exactly how he wants it, you would like to sort of realize the enjoy the fruits of your labor, so to speak. Um, enjoy the fact that you have Tyler Buckner on your roster in your freshman class. Enjoy the fact you have Marcus Freeman as your defensive coordinator. So it, uh, it, it certainly, I mean, look, USC, it might be easier to win a national championship at USC. I would agree with that, but not... Now, I mean, USC is in need of a huge cultural rebuild. I don't know if Brian Kelly wants to do that at age 60 the same way he wanted to do it at Notre Dame at age 50. He is 10 years and six days apart from Nick Saban. I did that math quick as Greg mentioned both their names when we were talking to him. The thing with Brian Kelly, and this is going to sound like a backhanded, backhanded compliment, like Notre Dame is his program. It has his stamp over it. He works how he wants, when he wants like there's, I get the appeal of California, uh, better recruiting territory, less rules to navigate. Although I think USC is a lot trickier and frankly a lot more similar to Notre Dame from like a, a political getting stuff done atmosphere than either side would ever want to admit to the other. Um, but I don't think if you're 60 years old, the idea of all right, I can go out there and recruit whoever I want, whenever I want, is appealing to Brian Kelly. Like we know this guy, like. He's a good recruiter. He's not Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban, and he never will be. Like, he's not going to wake up the day after he turns 60 and say, you know what, I want to recruit more. Like, that's just what makes that job appealing. I don't think necessarily makes it appealing to Brian Kelly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, I do. I, I guess I was sort of encouraged from a Notre Dame point of view that McElroy sees things the way that Brian Kelly has articulated and the way that I think that we have reported it out that, like, you know, you go to a Marcus Freeman because that's the def- that's that maybe that is that defense doesn't give you any better chance to go twelve and zero than Clark Lee or Mike Elko, but Brian Kelly believes it gives you a better chance to get to thirteen and zero or fourteen and zero. Um, you know, Tyler Buckner is pretty obvious, right? Like Ian Book maxed out everything that he was. Um, there's more to max out with Tyler Buckner. Than there is, than there was with Book, than there is with Jack Cohn. That doesn't mean Tyler Buckner is going to win as many games as Ian Book, uh, but I, I like the idea that 
every move is essentially with Alabama in the back of your mind. And Marcus Freeman has admitted this, like on our podcast, I believe in the summer, like you recruit with Alabama and Clemson in his mind, because if you want to beat them, you have to, you have to get closer to them in talent. Um, but you also have to philosophically run your program in a way that you feel like will help you get caught up. And it certainly seems that McElroy having spent some time around BK, you know, knowing Tommy Reese a little bit, spending time with Marcus Freeman, um, came away with that vibe. And I, I think that's a that's a really important vibe to to have, um, because learning can't can't get over the mountaintop unless it does. No, and you know, I thought it was interesting. Greg McElroy, I mean, if you remember the broadcast and the opener, he was highly effusive in his praise of Jack Cohn, as I think we all were coming out of that game and Again, I don't think he played bad last week by any stretch of the imagination, but Notre Dame definitely needed something else back there, given the talent that Jack Cohn had to work with up front. And Tyler Buckner provided that jolt to them. But I, I was surprised to hear Greg McElroy say, like, I wouldn't be surprised if <clears throat> by the end of the year, like, it's Tyler Buckner's job, period. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, but in the same vein of what you were just saying, I can't tell you how many times this spring and this summer I heard some variation out of the goog of the line of, if we ever get over the hump, it's going to be because of this kid. Like, he's that special. He has the potential to be that kind of difference maker. And if you think that early on, I don't see the harm in in putting him out there more. Obviously, there are dynamics to navigate. Jack Cohn hasn't done anything to lose the job. Notre Dame hasn't lost the game yet, although we've seen them make quarterback changes before they've necessarily been forced to via a loss in 2018. But if you look, if you're... If you're operating with Alabama in the back of your mind, I'll remind you that Alabama won a national championship because Nick Saban pulled the best program guy he maybe ever had in Jalen Hurts in the middle of the game to go to a true freshman into a time of Viola, and they ended up winning. Dabo Sweeney did the exact same thing, benching a senior starter, Kelly Bryant, for a true freshman named Trevor Lawrence. They ended up winning it all. You know who didn't do that? Kirby Smart. He let Justin Fields walk out the door because he didn't want to bench Jake Fromm, which obviously was a mistake. Uh, Urban Meyer, same thing. JT Barrett, four-year starter, did everything right on and off the field. Obviously very limited compared to some of the other quarterbacks who are on that roster and who have ended up being recruited to that roster in the years past. Like Sometimes loyalty and blind spots can get to, can get you um, when you're, you've got one goal in mind. You need to be ruthless. And again, Jack Cohn hasn't done anything to lose the job yet. I don't think they'll lose this week, although I, you know, I don't take anything for granted based on what I saw the last two weeks. But if that's your goal in mind, you're going to have to make a decision of that magnitude at some point if Tyler Buckner continues to produce. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth, for how angsty I think a lot of the Notre Dame fan base has been, like what was one thing we said over the summer of like, it would be a good season if X. It would be a good season if if Tyler Buckner showed he could be the guy long-term. Maybe not this year, but long-term. We're well down the road on that. And that's, you know, for for all the, you know, the tight game against Toledo, tight game against Florida State, you know, whatever happens this weekend against Purdue, we'll talk about that in a second. But that's to come out of this season and Notre Dame know that Tyler Buckner is going to be the guy. Um, and he is not going to go to Columbus to start next season with no experience whatsoever. Like those are huge. Those are huge issues. Uh, and Notre Dame for how weird last weekend was, is well on their way to like checking both of those boxes. Definitely. I think there's, 
there was a day-to-day minutiae approach, if you will, in the way they've operated and the way they've succeeded in recent years that, one, I don't think they're they're necessarily good enough to operate that way week to week this year. Uh, but there's definitely a, a step back, big picture, what do we have to do to win a national championship approach? And you and Greg, I think, alluded to that well by, by talking about the hiring of Marcus Freeman. I mean, um, no one's going to look at the first the game tape of the first two games and, and come away all that impressed or satisfied with how Notre Dame's defense is playing. But if they felt that was what was necessary to do, uh, both to run that scheme on the field and more importantly to acquire the talent to run that scheme off the field in the offseason, then that's, that's what you have to do. Maybe you sacrifice uh, a game or two in year one with a new coordinator. I don't know. Um, it almost reared its ugly head each of the last two weeks. But I definitely think they're operating, and Brian Kelly has essentially spoken really since the summer and in season so far, like a coach who has one goal on his mind. And doesn't look like that's going to happen this year, but we've seen crazier things happen. Uh, maybe it'll happen in future years. But I, I do think, you know, in the big picture, that's a refreshing approach because I, I, I hate talking in these terms because I feel like I'm shortchanging all the good things they've done in the last four years. But you can't just keep living doing the same. Like, what's the definition of insanity, right? Like, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Like, they have to try something different um, without sacrificing too much for themselves. All right. Let's spin it to this weekend. I was, uh, I've was i made a deal with myself that I'm not going to predict Notre Dame to lose a home game or a team to an, or to an unranked team until it actually happens. Um, this is this is all a byproduct of the Camping World Bowl. Um, Greg may have talked me into like Notre Dame actually playing really well on Saturday and hammering Purdue a little bit. There, there are some matchups. George Karlaftis versus Tosh Baker or Josh Lug that would concern the hell out of me if I was Notre Dame. Uh, Bell, their receiver against Cam Hart or Clarence Lewis would concern me. Um, I'm not sure there are a ton of other ones, but like, what? so what happens Saturday? You'll be there. We'll be doing a podcast in person from uh, probably the visiting Purdue radio booth. But uh, what, what do you got on Saturday? I got Notre Dame 24-17. Um, Greg had a, I don't know if I'd say a convincing argument, but he knows more than me and you, and he, he, he him believing that Notre Dame's going to win by three touchdowns. Uh, and, and I would also backtrack. Him saying, when I said, what are your expectations for this program, and he still said college football playoff, um, I, that's, that's that's something to, to, to be optimistic yeah. about if you're a Notre Dame fan. If, if someone of his stature who's seen and done it is saying you're still capable of this despite everything we've seen to the contrary in two weeks. Um and Jeff Brom said the same thing too yesterday. He's like, it's it's good for Notre Dame that they struggled the last two weeks because they had to try a lot of new things and they're going to be ready for us and it's probably bad for Purdue. I think Notre Dame wins. They're the better team. Um, I think they're still a long, long ways from a finished product, so I'm not ready to, to snap my fingers and think they win this game the way we thought they would maybe three weeks ago. But I'd say 24-17. I think the line was about seven. I can look that yeah, up real about. quick for you. Eight. Eight with a 57 and a half over under. So I've got Purdue in the under, but I think Notre Dame gets three now. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'm going 34 24 Notre Dame. I think that, I think that Purdue will score on them. Um, I don't think Notre Dame is quite ready to suffocate somebody defensively, but I think who Notre Dame is offensively is uh, on the rise. Like you're going to get 
probably some more Buckner. If you don't, it's because Cohn is playing really well. Austin and Mayer are established quantities. I think Purdue will probably defend Mayer a little differently than Toledo tried to. But, you know, Brian Kelly talked about this on Monday about, you know, Lindsey has been open. They haven't hit him. Uh, Wilkins needs more opportunities than he's got. Uh, Tyree should not have any games where he has seven carries for 12 yards. Um, although with this offensive line, that I don't know if he's going to necessarily break out. But, you know, you had the 55-yard yeah, 55 yard catch last week from Buckner for the touchdown. Uh, Kyron Williams, three catches, 27 yards. I think that that stuff is, or three catches, 25 yards, like that stuff's going to continue. Um, so I, I like Notre Dame to, to score on Purdue, um, but I, I'm not quite in the Greg McElroy camp of like, this could be a three touchdown game. I, that's almost something that I would need to see before I would predict. You and me both. Um, also, I, I will. I made fun of you last week since you predicted that North Carolina would beat Notre Dame and North Carolina won late tonight against Virginia <laughs> Tech. And one. I said, well, US, I said USC is going to beat Notre Dame. And actually, now they got an upgrade in coaching, so that might happen um, since they looked so bad last week. Uh, we know nothing. Like, we, we, this, this, the first month of the Shamrock is going to be like one long Old Takes Exposed segment. When all is said and done with this season, it has not been a hot start. No, for either, of us, either of us so well, far. I think even Brian, Brian Kelly is a little surprised. Like, eh, this is not kind of what I expected. Yes, uh, I do wonder. They win. He ties Newt Rockney. Like, you got to do something to celebrate that at Notre Dame Stadium. What are they going to do? I don't know. Maybe they'll like. We're, it's crazy. We're not talking about that. Like right maybe now. Maybe they'll look forward like, that's, to my that's such a big expansive deal. story on Brian Kelly and why he wins next week. Um, although to be delayed if they somehow lose. Might be, to might be in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it, there are so many things with Brian Kelly and his relationship with Notre Dame and the fan base that was just like he's going to tie a really important historical market Notre Dame. And I mean, how is it going to be observed? Like a little message on the the video board? Like, I, it's it's a weird deal, right? Like, it, it's like it's so weird. Let's say they beat Purdue by three points. Like, no one's. I hesitate to say no one is going to care about it, but like, people should. But that people are just going to continue to complain about the fact that you just barely beat Purdue. I don't know. It's a weird. That whole dynamic is weird. I don't think it's ever going to be normal, but. It, I've sort of accepted that as as is. Yeah, I just it, it's just a weird dynamic. I, I I would hope the broadcast and Mike Tirico and those guys like give it its appropriate due. And I'm oh, sure they, they will. will. But yeah. I'm sure they will. But the the, the stadium atmosphere, um, what's the stadium like? It wasn't exactly packed for the opener last week against Toledo, and I know there are a lot of extenuating circumstances going on with everyone right now. So I don't say that critically, but it was reality. Um, you know, it's, I mean, in 2014, I believe I, I'm probably misspeaking, misremembering this, but I was beat writer then for ESPN, and he he coached in the same number of Holtz games Holtz did, or he he did something with Holtz, and I had something lined up with Holtz and then with him to do in season, and that was scheduled before they went on just the complete meltdown they did at the end of the year, and it just was like. I got to scrap this. Like, no one's going to receive this in a positive manner because this isn't the season that we all thought it was going to be when they got off to a 6-0 start. This isn't hasn't reached those levels by any means yet. They're still undefeated. But, yeah, if they win by three, I mean, at some point, I mean, I don't 
you know, fan behavior is fan behavior. At some point, like if you win another close game, is it all right? Like we keep winning all these games we shouldn't win. Like let's let's enjoy it. That narrative Probably, could turn. I could see pro- that. Probably not though, because like it's Notre Dame, and you've made two playoffs in the last three years. Like you'd you have, have to, high ex- after Wisconsin. Like if they if they have four one score wins, but after the Wisconsin game, then I think people will be like, all right. After maybe, that, maybe yes. this is just how it is. After that, yes, but after Purdue, I don't know if they're gonna they're going to feel that way. Nor will I blame them for feeling whatever way they feel after that. It's just been it's been a very 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 weird season. Frankly, made weirder by the fact that a guy a lot smarter than me and you just came out and said he still thinks they can make the playoff and win this week by three touchdowns. So I know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the show. Yeah, that's a great way buckle, to wrap up buckle the show. Up, buckle up for the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, yeah, that we will get out of here on on the fact that we don't know what we're talking about. Um, you've been listening to the Shamrock brought to you by the Athletic, and then Matt and I will be together this weekend on Saturday uh, in the Notre Dame press box. So we'll have a uh, be able to record post game immediately. But um, should be should be a fascinating game on Saturday. A lot more interesting than I thought it would be when I started looking at the schedule in the summer. You know, Purdue was. That was a W, move on to Wisconsin. Now that's not really the case. So it, um, we'll learn a lot about Notre Dame. Brian Kelly will probably learn a lot about this team too on Saturday. We, we learned a lot about Florida State last week that we yes. didn't know we needed to learn too. Yeah, exactly. So college football, never a dull moment. But that's why we love it. So until uh, Matt and I get together again on Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium, you've been listening to The Shamrock brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks for being with us. 